Welcome to the $7 Trillion Ideas to Save the World podcast. I'm your host, Nika Moini. I'm a master's in international affairs student in international economic policy with a focus on development financing at Carleton University. I'm also a community leader, advocate of youth entrepreneurship, and author of Careers in International Relations, Generation Z's Guide to Global Citizenship. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the $7 Trillion Ideas to Save the World podcast. Today, we have Kristen Yee and Joy Anderson with us from Criterion Institute, which is a think tank that incorporates gender into the financial system. And they are a very inspiring organization, and we have a lot we can learn from them. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks. So exciting to be here. Awesome. So let's get started with um, you telling us a little bit more about how you came to start Criterion and a little bit more about what you do. Great. Well, I will kick off. Uh, This is Kristen speaking. Joy can uh, describe a little bit about the creation of Criterion, but I think in describing a bit of who I am and my role at Criterion, where I come from, it really helps set the stage for the, the history of, of the Criterion Institute and sort of what, what we do today. So formally, uh, I'm a senior program manager at Criterion. What that means is I manage a lot of our engagements with uh, different, particularly different donor governments around the world and how they're thinking about gender lens investing. Um, but at Criterion's core, uh, we really focus on, on the question of power sort of who has it, who doesn't, and in particular, how we can harness power, and in particular, the power of financial systems to create social change. So um, that is uh, the primary role that, that I uh, play at, at Criterion, is thinking about how can we deconstruct financial systems into their component parts, really understand how they work and where power sits, and how can we use uh, gender expertise, uh, gender analysis uh, from an intersectional perspective to really uh, use the tools of finance to create social change um, as you would, uh, you know, any government system, healthcare system, anything to sort of create more gender equitable social change. And so what I think is uh, really remarkable about Criterion is that we're an institute that uh, really challenges uh, assumptions in in finance, uh, and you know what I think uh, as an example of that. Um, I, I have a, a public health background. Uh, I'm not someone who is uh, a trained uh, investment manager who uh, has a background in in economics, um, but I really do understand uh, systems of power, and so um, I think that that is uh, an important illustration in uh, what Criterion does and how we sort of ask people uh, to question assumptions, why a gender analysis is important, such that um, we can get to the point where we uh, make uh, better investment decisions and really have systems of finance that actually create uh, a better world. Well, just to build on that, because I think if uh, Kristen's public health expert. I started Criterion 17 years ago, um, and three years before I started it, I was a high school teacher in Brooklyn, New York. And so 
the thread through all 17 years has really been who gets to say how things work, who gets to be at that table. When I taught high school in New York, there was a, um, I'd look at the faces of the kids and you could tell the difference between the people who thought they had to survive the rules and the people who thought they might be able to change them. And so that taught me a lot about sort of where alienation sits within the world, who thinks they can create change. And so uh, Criterion's history though, at some point we've launched a venture fund, we've launched about six different ventures in, in you know, different companies. We are globally known for launching the field of gender lens investing. So we definitely are insiders in lots of ways, but what we're constantly trying to figure out is not just to become the insiders and make the difference, but how do we use our stance to be able to understand how other people can see themselves as shaping the system. Um, not just to say, oh cool, we've got power, we can change everything, but to say the way things are actually gonna change is if we shift the structural inequities about who has the voice, even in something as arcane and complex as a system of finance. Amazing. And you were starting to mention there a little more about gender lens investing and kind of creating this field. And from what I understand, you guys define gender lens investing as like a process definition. So can you tell us more about that and how you define it and, and what yeah. kind of work you're doing in that field? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, so we define, um, I'm now going to have a pause, Kristen, because I don't have our new definition and I should be able to say it. So you're at an edit moment. <laughs> have that someplace the new one that actually says through shit i do somewhere i know it's like i don't know our, de our definition is kind of new and i've been on break for a month anyway um I'll, I'll go with the broader definition so we define gender lens investing as the process of incorporating a gender analysis into investment decision making um, to be able to get to better outcomes. Um, and so the, the focus on that is to say a gender analysis is relevant everywhere. Like being able to pay attention to gender dynamics. And as Kristen mentioned before, we, we work as hard as we possibly can to make sure that there's an intersectional perspective within a gender analysis. Um, but looking at um, a gender analysis within how finance works, looking at its analysis of, you know, what's a valuable company, looking at the structures, how did you actually put the transaction together, looking at the processes, what actually, how do they do their work every day, you know, who does what things and how does that give them what kind of power. So from our perspective, um, thinking about that process, is really important. And it's a way to make sure that we can incorporate gender in everything, right? Not just in places where women are. And so what we're often countering with that, and this is a part of the history of gender lens investing early on, we would have these gatherings and you know, sort of forming the field and everybody would say, let's come together and come up with one big goal for like all women that just gets everybody galvanized and we can move our investments in that direction. I was like, 
women everywhere. And so the danger of definitions of gender lens investing that are defined by outcomes is they have the potential for essentializing, reducing, oversimplifying the experience of gender and particularly making it only about women um, and one sort of construction. Um, and so being able to say doing a gender analysis is the key piece. And then that process can be, can be applied to a variety of settings. Um, so that's, that's the that sort of thinking about the definition as a process definition, like organics, right? Organics doesn't say our organic food is this, um, has this outcome. Organics actually talks about the process by which the organic food was made. And so that it has unintended consequences, right? There are problems with using a process definition. Uh, but it also has lots and lots of strengths. And right now, we definitely feel that the strengths um, overweigh the challenges and that the challenges can be mitigated in other ways. Yes, and, and I would say, you know, similar to how one might use uh, a gender analysis in sort of development overall to think about the gender considerations in, let's say, um, you know, a maternal health initiative. Uh, somewhere in West Africa, uh, the reason for us that a process definition is very important is to be able to analyze context. And so we uh, appreciate that there is no, uh, as Joy was saying, essential definition of or, you know, an, an essential sort of outcome, one outcome uh, that can meet all of the different uh, experiences from a different gendered perspective, be um, you identify as a man, a woman, a, a trans person, or you're non-conforming, uh, and you live in different parts of the world, have different realities in those parts of the world, that really informs your approach to how you might go about understanding how to use finance, how to use investments in order uh, to create social change. And so that is why for us, context is so important in gender lens investing as it is with any gender analysis that I'm definitely. Right, and kind of getting into that idea of finance as a tool for social change, I think one of your goals is to um, grow and expand who actually sees themselves as using finance as a tool for social change. So can you kind of talk more about that? So as as I as I started off with, uh, you know, finance is really a, a system of power, uh, like like any other system. Uh, for instance, like again, like like a healthcare system, like the way our governments uh, are a system, uh, like like anything. And so each and every one of those systems um, has its own. Uh, uh, utility has its own power centers and so what we're trying to say is that um, finance as a tool for social change can be used in a similar way as policy uh, in, in advocating for for instance um, change in, in how governments operate if only we understand how systems of finance work and so um, in really helping people expand um, who sees themselves as using 
uh, as being able to use finance as a tool for social change, it really goes back to what Joy was talking about as who sees themselves uh, with the ability, with the potential to enter that system, who doesn't feel uh, alienated, um, who, uh, you know, while we acknowledge the potential exploitive practices that, that many financial systems have um, exerted upon the world, because finance is such a strong uh, system of power, if we're able to understand its component parts, the way that it operates, um, we can tweak how that system works such that we can create social change um, that really uh, meets the, the goals of, of something like uh, different development initiatives uh, that exist. And so the, the work that we do is really trying to, to invite um, people who aren't often in conversations of finance uh, to to help demonstrate how uh, finance could be used, like like a policy tool, and also to um, you know demonstrate that it's possible to confront uh, some of the the challenges we've had with financial systems uh, in the past. Yeah, I, I think there's a kind of yeah, I think this piece of our work is is probably the hardest part that we do. People ask us all the time, like, wow, you must do all this work to engage people in finance to care about gender. Honestly, we get calls daily from people in finance who want to know about gender because it's, I don't know, it's, uh, yeah, gender's kind of a hot topic right now. Um, there's a lot of capital moving in that direction. And so, and there's some momentum um, actually, the real challenge that we have is making sure that the people who have deep contextual knowledge about how gender works are at the table. And they, for, you know, sort of building on Kristen's point, for perfectly legitimate reasons, think that maybe finance is a big evil system of power that corrupts absolutely. Um, they might just think that. And so inviting them to the table to say, let's have a brainstorming session about how we could maybe engage finance often takes an enormous amount of trust building. And we have, an, we have a lot of empathy for that because it, it, is, it is a system of power that has created um, some, some bad things in the world, um, but it also can be used for good. Um, and just the other piece, and, and this is maybe tying to the, some of the work we're trying to demonstrate within our gender-based violence work, but it kind of gets us out of the only way to use, one of the things we're trying to challenge is impact investing kind of set us up in this way that using finance means moving capital, right? That, that the goal is to move more money to good. And so the reframe that we have of thinking about when and where finance can be an effective tool for social change, that's the frame that we put on things, is actually an interesting challenge to the assumption that moving capital to good is the function. Um, so often we'll say, actually, it's not about moving more capital, it's about changing the rules under which that capital sits, or um, shifting the structures, or changing the processes, or changing how value is assigned. There's a lot of things that are not just about more capital moving, and we need to be able to get into that nuance to make sure that we're actually creating social change, not just moving a bunch of money. Right, and kind of getting into that and the fact that gender is like a hot topic these days in the finance world, 
um, a lot of conversations tend to focus on gender impact in terms of like the number of women in a company, the number of women on boards and things like that. And, and um, I know you guys try to expand, you know, gender impact mean more than that. So can you talk about that and how we can reframe, you know, the impact on gender is more than just counting women and as, you know, an actual larger impact? Yeah, so uh, I mean, that's and that's also it's a it's a huge part of our work um, because there is a kind of while we believe women on boards just to say super duper important and important vehicle. The challenge is it often becomes the only one. So I'll have a conversation with a analyst in public equities and and she'll say to me, look, we looked at the women on boards thing. We tried to do gender lens investing. We're just not quite sure about the materiality of women on boards. I'm like, or we could look more broadly. So almost all of the products that are out there in gender lens investing right now focus almost entirely on um, internal characteristics of a company. Is there diversity in the leadership, whether it's boards or the C-suite? You know, what's the workplace equity um, more broadly? Maybe it gets a little bit into supply chain, um, but it's largely focused internally. Um, so if we compare that to climate, what gave climate its oomph is that it named a, a, a what's, what's called a, a market risk or an external risk that's out in the world that the proposition is that climate change affects every company that it's that it's that it, it, it we just don't know how right so we and that was then the process that for the last 10 years investors have been working basically on the assumption of massive changes in weather are probably going to affect every company they will present a risk for every company and so the question that we have then as investors is, well, how? And um, we're trying to do a similar thing in gender um, to say uh, gender and actually the shifting patterns of gender, right? Gender is not a static thing. As we look out to changing patterns within gender, changing patterns of, um, of, of power, um, uh, but it could be simply changing patterns of women's consumer behavior. It doesn't have to be really complicated. As we look at those changing patterns, how will that affect our investments? And so to be able to dig into this, um, we decided to focus on a single issue, um, just to kind of go deep. Um, and so about a third of our work is focused on gender-based violence. Because, for example, Gender-based violence um, is a is correlates significantly with political stability. Political stability or or political risk is one of the gating issues for investors. So if we can make a tie between um, patterns at a geographic level of gender-based violence at a nuanced, you know, not just like a blunt instrument, but a nuanced understanding of that. We can make a connection between that and then how investors would understand their risks. The other piece, um, another example is the Me Too piece. Um, you know, nothing really changed in companies to spur Me Too. There wasn't a new 
you know, sexual harassment policy that got passed in all of these companies that unearthed these issues. What changed was actually a market condition. What changed was the public tolerance of gender-based violence. And nobody anticipated that, right? Everybody who was investing in these companies was basically saying, I don't know, sucks for women, but I don't really know if anybody's going to challenge it because it's kind of accepted practice. All of a sudden, it's not accepted practice anymore and decades of risk is being unearthed. And so how, how, do, we, how, do, we see, um, how do we see those kinds of risks? And the only way we're gonna get to that is actually doing a gender analysis of what are the changing perceptions around tolerance of gender-based violence and, and how would we look at that and understand that as a market risk that's worth understanding. Right, and I think that gender-based violence is a really interesting example. Um, do you have like actual examples of solutions or investments that are kind of targeting that that you can talk about? Um, uh, yes and no. Um, so we're or, actually or kind of other examples that are making gender like a market risk. Um, so the example that I just gave you around the Me Too would be a matter of turning that into a public equity product, right? So that could be baked into how Bank of America or um, th they could be baked into how a public equity manager, um, if you can actually, if you can edit, let me edit out that last week because I shouldn't actually name companies. Um, but so, Okay, no worries. Yeah, so um, the, what, the way this all works, and so we could come up with lots and lots of examples, but our work is about showing what's possible. So we work to say, here is a way to analyze how gender works in the world, and it informs how you might look at a publicly traded company, at which point we have conversations with managers who manage public equities and influence them to design processes, sorry, to design products that would incorporate that risk or if we're looking at the function of domestic violence within a city and, and the, the underlying risks that domestic violence presents to the stability of a city, then we would be talking to potentially municipal bond managers about whether or not that's material. And so out of this, our, our goal is to spur investment managers to frankly do their work, take this data, and incorporate it into how they think about things. So we actually have a white paper that's coming out around gender-based violence and the 50 approaches that we found in, um, in a couple months. So maybe we can come back on and lay that out for you. Awesome, very cool. Yeah, I look forward to looking over that. Awesome, so we talked a little bit about climate change as well and what I've seen is a lot of people working in climate finance kind of have similar goals to, you know, make the world a better place through their investments, but a lot of them don't really know how to incorporate gender. So we can kind of talk about the connection there between gender and climate change and climate finance and like what you see as um, ways to incorporate gender into it. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, gen gender issues, be it, you know, in, in climate finance or, or elsewhere, gender, gender issues are, are everywhere. 
And so similar to um, what we were talking about uh, before related to, to how you would do um, a gender analysis, it's really trying to understand the context within which uh, climate finance initiatives are uh, being rolled out. So for instance, um, you know, climate change in the Pacific uh, for uh, different groups of women is going to be very a different reality uh, than uh, the effects of climate change in uh, different parts of, you know, the Sahel uh, for, um, you know, male uh, farmers, for instance. And so being able to uh, understand how the different gendered realities and other intersections actually uh, impact different climate risk uh, as you know similar to as a market risk similar to what we were talking about but just before um, in figuring out how to get questions of gender-based violence um, considered as, as a market risk it's, it's, a, it's a very similar principle and so, uh, again, similar to how you would do uh, a gender analysis, there are a number of questions that uh, you would want to, to consider in really understanding uh, what are the factors that are going to drive how you see um, risk and how you might be able to intervene in terms of, you know, how you um, structure an investment or how you go through the, the process of investing. And uh, th those questions are, are really the, the core of, of a gender analysis. And they're things like uh, in any climate finance initiative, really asking questions like who has access to and control over resources in the setting that we're talking about, um, who has the ability to participate, who has been consulted, uh, who has uh, decision-making power uh, versus others, um, you know, where are issues related to uh, human rights, uh, have they been met or, or not? Where, where are their gaps? And being able to understand sort of those realities such that you can make more nuanced, smarter investments. So really for, for us, when we talk about gender lens investing, uh, be it for climate finance um, or, or in any other uh, sector, why we think uh, gender lens investing, the approach to gender lens investing is so important, it's because it uh, focuses on uh, additional issues that aren't considered in, uh, you know, sort of traditional or sort of normative practices in finance that allow you to see new realities, new possibilities that, um, you know, you otherwise wouldn't be able to. Right. I think that's a really awesome answer. And the very last question that we ask everyone on the podcast is what else is needed to close the financing gap in sustainable development? So you can take this question, whatever angle you like, but um, yeah, go for it. So um, I was looking at this question and we really can take it wherever we want because I don't, I mean, I think there is one of the challenges that I have with how this question is being framed in the place that I'm at is if we look broadly at the SDGs and sort of what's necessary to move things forward, there's kind of some math that happens about what moves more capital. And what I want to make sure that we're really aware of is that moving investment capital is not necessarily as, it's not effective in the same ways. It doesn't have the same kind of impact 
as a, a, a donor agency investing long-term in um, the sort of, you know, a poverty reduction program or a philanthropist, you know, giving an NGO to innovate new practices that address female genital cutting or something. Like there's just a fundamental difference in nuance and one of my fears, and, and this is again back to the power conversation, is that we privilege investment capital too much. Obviously, we work in finance, it's all we work on, but we also work to make sure that we don't overplay what it can do um, and sort of see it as a, as a silver bullet. So for in our context, I, I do believe, you know, we need to do what we can to continue to move capital appropriately to um, efforts that can um, create a better world. Uh, we're just, we were just talking earlier today, Kristen and I are working together with one of our colleagues on menstrual health and thinking what will it actually help to build a effective market for menstrual health, in this case, particularly in the Pacific. And then the question is where and how might investment capital be useful to that? Um, but I, I always want to balk at the assumption that capital moving in and of itself is a solution rather than the reality is human beings need to have done a remarkable amount of work before capital is actually useful to them. And we need to be really careful about making sure that the structures and the processes and the analytics around that are taking into account the actual reality of what's going on in the room in the world, in the, in the context in which we're working. I don't know, Kristen, do you have a better answer than that? No, I, I think, I think that's exactly right. We I mean, back to, together. uh, also <laughs> we, we could, we could, we could, in fact, what a, not a novel idea. Um, I mean, back, back to, to the question of, you know, how to, uh, engage different audiences who don't normally work in finance, um, to, to see finance as the potential to, to use, uh, finance as a tool for social change. We don't think that finance is a silver bullet, that it can replace all of the amazing, you know, advocacy, behavior change, uh, you know, real, real, um, work that, that's going on to sort of challenge uh, you know, harmful stereotypes and oppressive structures in our world. We do, we do not think um, that finance is necessarily the answer to that. Those, those other um, uh, projects, really fundamental projects that, that never compromise on questions of human rights, uh, that those need to be funded and need to be central to any effort um, that we do. And there is a role that, you know, investments, uh, you know, development finance can play in uh, ensuring that human rights are met, but they can't come at the compromise of programs that aim to, at their core, address and promote human rights. Right. Right, and I think that's a really great consideration and approach to take this question as well. Um, and other guests have said similar things in terms of like, you know, it's not just about the capital, obviously, it's about everything that goes behind that. Um, so that's awesome, and that's a great place to end off. So if people are interested in learning more about your work, where can they find you? So uh, we are criterioninstitute.org, so there's a bunch of stuff on our website. 
and the ability to reach out to the team. Okay, awesome. So thank you so much for joining us. And yeah, make sure to check out their website if you are interested. And we will see you all next time. Okay, great. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the $7 trillion ideas to save the world podcast. If you know someone who would love listening to this content, make sure to send it over to them so they too can learn about it. And together, let's change the world.